Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Okay, one of our Old Testament books begins like this. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Maybe that sounds familiar to the passage you just heard Jan read. You've never been more terrified than if you're on turbulent waters and water's coming into the ship and there's, there's wind howling and screaming and, and the lightning's flashing in such a way that it's like a strobe light effect. This is complete sensory overload, a, a situation of utter despair. Then the mariners were afraid, <laughs> understatement, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. All of their supplies, all of their belongings, it's all got to go in, in desperation. In this moment, not a single person is worried about what happens if we starve or, or what about financial loss or even losing our own belongings. This is life or death. Someone help us. God save us, they cried out. That's not really a theological statement or a belief statement. It's more like the kind of sheer desperation cry that you might hear as an airplane is headed down. The desperation and fear here is no joke. But Jonah, there's this guy named Jonah, had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid his head down and was fast asleep. A guy on a boat sleeping in the midst of a storm. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And just by mentioning that name, Jonah, some of you may know he's got quite the backstory. He's a chosen prophet of the Lord, and he received a mission from God that he didn't particularly care for. In fact, he ran the exact opposite way. He grabbed a boat with some foreign mariners, and off he went in the opposite direction God was calling him to. And as we heard in verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1, God came after him. The Lord hurled a great wind, a mighty tempest on the sea. And eventually, with maybe just moments to spare before the ship goes down, Jonah tells the mariners who he is and that this whole storm is because of him. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Hurl me into the sea, Jonah answered. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come. But these foreign mariners, they're not savages. 
They reject Jonah's sacrificial offer and they try to escape the storm and they keep throwing things overboard and the storm only increases against them. They did everything they could to avoid doing the unthinkable. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Okay, a boat in some way purposed or sent into a storm. Amidst fear and desperation, people cry out to God, even as confused or unsure about who he really is. The sacrificed one who had been sleeping on the boat is the reason for the calm. And then a greater exceeding fear of who God really is resulted. A few minutes back, Jan read our story from today for the, from the gospel of Mark chapter four. It's Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41. Again, you're gonna wanna be active in notes. It, if for no other reason, put Jonah one next to Mark four, 35 through 41. They're parallels here. From all the way back in John's, or Jonah's account in the Old Testament, this episode that we're reading about in Mark has been planned by God and intended by God for centuries. This story isn't just a one-off or another event in the, the life of Jesus. Our first outline point is this. This account is prefaced by Jonah's story. It's prepared, the boat was sent into the storm and it's pivotal for the disciples and for us. As you carefully read through this account that concludes Mark chapter four, it's very clear with all the specific details and the intricacy of timing here that this was firsthand eyewitnessed. We have all kinds of details that could only possibly come from somebody that was actually there. Uh, leaving the crowd, they took him, Jesus, with them in the boat just as he was, meaning in the condition with the attire, with the belongings that he had. Next, and other boats were with him. That seems to be an extra detail. That's the only time we hear it in this account. It doesn't factor into the story. Extra information. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling at this point a sense of unexpected immediacy and danger to the peril that, that anyone on the boat would face. Our author knows that all too well. And then lastly, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Again, just extra detail. It's like this episode is this slowed down, pressure-packed event, accounting for every little detail because I think for the author, this event has been a long time coming. God's been planning and preparing for this one. 
for the author, this is going to be one of the greatest episodes of them all. And I'm gonna continue making that case in just a bit. And Jesus is actually sleeping. Like, actually sleeping, a sleep that he had to be awoken from. This isn't like, like his eyes were closed, but he was kind of peeking through one eye to kind of test the disciples and see what they were gonna do in the midst of the storm. He was sleeping. The humanity, the human nature of Jesus is very clear here. His exhaustion from the day's teaching, because the first words of verse 35 make it clear that this was a continuation from that same day where he had been teaching about all the parables as we've covered in past weeks. The humanity of Jesus is very clear here in his exhaustion, but so is his divinity. Even among such a violent storm, he was at peace. He knew this was not gonna be the day he died. <laughs> he knew all about that day. He knew all about what would happen to him to take him and snuff out his earthly life. And for him, Jesus knows this isn't what's gonna take me. And that somehow gave him enough peace to sleep even amidst such a violent storm. So his humanity is very clear here, but it's basically a miracle that he's even able to sleep and find rest amidst a storm like this. I wanna show you one of my favorite pictures of all time. There it is. That's Kendall and me in the middle on Splash Mountain. And I want you, hopefully you can see it on the side screens here. I want you to take a look if you can at the expressions on the faces here. What is the reason for the different emotions at play? I'm not gonna answer that question. I'm, I'm just gonna kind of leave it here. Look at her face, look at Kendall's face and look at my face. What is the reason for the different reactions? Keep that in mind. Looking a bit more through this passage after already seeing how it was prefaced long ago by Jonah's account, and then that there's this sense of eyewitness details, we also encounter three greats in this passage. If you have your Bibles, you're gonna wanna underline these or, or circle them. First, in verse 37, it says, and a great windstorm arose. That's great number one. Verse 39, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. That's number two. And then great number three, verse 41, and they were filled with a great fear. Great windstorm, great calm, great fear. Let's start with the great windstorm. The Sea of Galilee sits 696 feet below sea level. So that means uh, it results in violent downdrafts that can be deadly and the boat had begun to take on water. And Jesus, in the midst of all that, is actually sleeping. How are you feeling if you're on that boat? And I want you to filter this through, well, I'm reading the Bible, so how should I be feeling? But actually, honestly reflect. You're in the midst of a great tempest, and the one who sent you out into this storm is sitting there 
asleep. How are you feeling? <laughs> Verse 38, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This, this begs today's first question. There's two of them that the disciples ask in this whole passage. And the first is, do you not care? Grammar police people have corrected me from time to time in my writing that, that you can't have something like what you see on the screens here. You can't have two punctuation marks ending a sentence. You gotta pick. It's either a question mark or an exclamation point. You can't have both. Well, it's my outline and I can do what I want because I believe that there are absolutely some questions that can't just be left with a question mark. And I believe that this is legitimately a question. They're seeking an answer. So it's not just an exclamation point. A question mark doesn't communicate it alone. And an exclamation point doesn't communicate it alone. You need both. Am I right? See, even that right there, am I right? Had an, a question mark plus an exclamation point. But when you have a personality like mine, everything comes across with an exclamation point. But I digress. I know it's not inherently biblical here with the question mark and the exclamation point, but, but I'm thinking that this question in this dire situation with the craziness of Jesus sleeping through the tempest is the type of question that can't just be left with a question mark. Questions like these necessitate an exclamation point too. Do you not care? That's a very legitimate question for what the disciples were facing if we put ourselves in their boat. And I think it's a, a very legitimate question that some of you are asking right now. And all of a sudden, this, this message turns a little bit heavier. Because for some of us, we are facing a storm, a diagnosis, a broken relationship, an unjust situation, an unshakable condition. And either because of how long it has lasted or the great cost and the intensity of what we're facing or how faithfully we have cried out to God we're left confused by him like the mariners in Jonah's story or it just seems like God is sleeping like in this story. And here's the key. When it seems like God is sleeping, we can very quickly conclude that means he doesn't care. Am I hitting any nerves here? Any chance that some of you, some of your prayers have felt like they've fallen on sleeping ears? I'm not making light of this at all. In fact, I'm finding myself right alongside of the disciples' question mark, exclamation point side, thinking, seriously? Sleeping? Do you not care? But I don't think it's the astonishment about his sleeping that Jesus wakes up and rebukes. 
As you look over the next verses, this is why it's good to have this in front of you, kind of scrolling through it. As you look over the next verses, you'll see two rebukes, two uh, corrections from Jesus. One to the wind and the storm, and then one to his disciples of a very different kind, where he asks, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Faith in what? That Jesus could miraculously calm the tempest? Maybe. But I actually don't think that that's what Jesus is rebuking. I think that Jesus is addressing not their lack of faith in a miracle, like like he's just sitting there going, come on guys, you didn't think I would do that? I don't think that's what he's correcting. I think that Jesus addressed their lack of faith that he cares. Do you not care? They had shouted amidst the storm. That is a real and a raw question. And that's hard to reconcile in the midst of our storms. But that's exactly what Jesus is intimately trying to teach his people, as we've learned about in the last few weeks with the parables, that the ways of the kingdom are not always what they seem. We tend to focus on the size and the threat of the storms that we're facing. We tend to focus on telling God how big our storms are, the great windstorm, when he wants us to tell our storms how great our God is which leads us to the second great of this passage, a great calm. Jesus rebukes the violence, the threat, the chaos, the authoritative command and miraculous power over hostile forces of nature speaks for itself here. Just moments after that extreme sensory overload of wind and water and lightning and thunder and all kinds of things, the sensory overload, just moments after that, there is a great calm. Mark tells us that this calm was deafening. It wasn't just things calmed down. It was a great calm which then led to the third great, a great fear. This was an entirely different kind of fear than they had felt before. It's the kind of shock and awe and paralysis and reverence that begs the second question that we find in this passage. Verse 41, the disciples say, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. And that's really the question of Mark and of each of our encounters with Jesus. Who then is this? I've searched my heart and I've considered the legitimacy of this next statement. And I believe I can wholeheartedly and actually boldly say this. This question, the question, who then is this? is the most important and primal question every 
single one of us is facing. Yes, it's more important than what am I gonna do after service today? Yes, it's more primal than how is this societal issue that we're facing gonna pan out? Yes, it's more primal than will my marriage make it through this? Yes, it's more primal than will my child make it through this cancer treatment? Now, don't misunderstand me and please listen very carefully. I don't want you to miss this. I am not saying that those questions aren't real. I'm not saying that those questions don't matter. Just like do you not care is in the very midst of a storm is a real and relevant, legitimate question. It still ends up being superseded by the question. It's not that all those questions are somehow any less. It's that this question is even greater. Because wherever the question takes us, it at least gives us some insight into all the other questions. Knowing who then is this tells me that the answer to my shout in the midst of the storm, do you not care? Knowing the answer to that tells me, yes, I do. All the other questions that really matter, all the other questions that God really cares about, all the other questions that need to still be brought to God are found under or within the outstretched arms of this question, the question. This episode and Jonah's episode teach us, show us that sometimes we are faced with the question, the question, and it only comes through our storms. I think some of us may have a, a heaviness with the questions that we're facing right now and the storms that we're facing right now. So I wanna model this in maybe a little bit of a more lighthearted way. Let's, let's throw up that picture of Kendall and Splash Mountain one more time. <laughs> what if I just left it there? Like, hey, this is a heavy part of the service. Let's look at a funny picture again. <laughs> if you could pause this moment right now and you could ask this little girl right here, hey, what's your most important question right now? What would her answer be? <laughs> I bet it'd be somewhere along the lines of all the mariners that we've encountered in all these stories. Like, am I going to die? That's her most important question right there. And it's not right, and it's not even appropriate to stop her and go, oh no, sweetie. No, it's who then is this? That's your most important question. <laughs> That's ridiculous. No, it's, it's unnatural. However, we are encountering the very real questions that we face when we're facing our storms. They're legitimate, they're real, they're raw. So we're not trying to somehow kind of force ourselves to, okay, even in the midst of the storm, I have to remember my biggest question is, who then is this? No, we're still gonna have those questions and they're still gonna be raw and real. I am saying we are encountering in this episode that wherever the question, who then is this, wherever that takes us is paramount, is eternal, is beyond any circumstances we encounter. And if we don't encounter that in this passage today, that's okay. 
because I know that there will be more coming after us in our faith in chapter five as we embark on that next week. This Jesus is relentless in how he is pursuing his people's faith, even in the storms, especially in the storms. So sometimes we're led to the question, who then is this? And it only comes through our storms. And then sometimes we're led to that question ahead of the storm. Sometimes God is working to build our faith, our trust, our dependence, and our strength rooted in him because he knows storms coming in your life. That makes who then is this the question of faith. And many of us have heard time and time again that faith is the antidote to fear. You heard that lately? Or maybe a little more succinctly, faith over fear. And, and, and I wonder about that. I wonder about that. That faith is the antidote to fear. Beyond bumper stickers and slogans and sheer bravado that, that faith over fear can elicit, I do really wonder if merely faith is really an antidote to very real fear. Now, I'm not just attacking the very popular church slogan and, and social media graphic faith over fear here. After all, I'm the one that used cute alliteration on an outline point earlier with three Ps to hopefully make it more memorable. And I think that's fine. That's not a bad thing. But I am absolutely trying to shepherd our faith towards the object of our faith, not just something internal to us. It's like in order for faith to really be an effective antidote to fear, it has to point to our answer to the two questions of this week's passage. What are my actual authentic answers to do you not care? And who then is this? In the last 24 hours, I've heard two different songs say something along the lines of, if you believe, if you have faith, you can walk on water. No, you can't. That's called drowning. No, but the one who could walk on water, the one who did walk on water, it's not just faith that I need. I just, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That's not gonna get me anywhere. Faith alone is not gonna help me. It's who is my object of faith? Is it strong enough to stand up against this storm? Is he strong enough and powerful enough that if he calls me outside of the boat, maybe I can walk on water? Not because I just believe, but because of who's calling me to it. Faith alone, when I'm facing very real fears of diagnosis and, and broken relationships and societal issues, just saying, I got faith. To me, honestly, that's not compelling enough. It's who that faith is in that really compels me. The object of our faith. Jesus, he triumphs over hostile powers. Yes, he does. The object of my faith, Jesus, is undoubtedly greater than any of the subjects of my fears. Jesus triumphs over hostile powers but they are far greater than the battles that you and I tend to pick. If the object of our faith can be instantly 
and unquestioningly obeyed from the forces of nature, like today's episode, or the demonic forces, like we're gonna face next week with Pastor Brent, not that Pastor Brent's demonic forces, but his passage will cover that. If, if he is unquestioningly obeyed by even sickness and death, as we're gonna see soon in the Gospel of Mark, then of course, efforts of people and cultures and societies can't stand against him. But that's where you and I tend to pick our battles the most, is with people. I don't just want an object of my faith that can stand up to the crowd. Man, people of all kinds have proven that they can stand up to the crowd. And that doesn't mean that they're worthy of my faith. The one who can rebuke the storm and demons and sickness and even death, that answers the question for me. A God way bigger, more unthreatened than the fragile battles that I tend to envision. Psalm 65, 5 and 7, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Psalm 89, 9, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107, 25 and 29, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. And then he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Talk about building faith ahead of the storm. This was written centuries before Jesus would prove that he had the power and the authority to actually make that happen. Who then is this? Later in Mark, we'll encounter this, Mark eight twenty nine. Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And then even later, Mark 15, verse 39, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Answering the question first tells me, my answer to all the other questions, like, do you care? Is yes, I do. Look at my nail-scarred hands. Look at my nail-pierced feet. I care more deeply than you will know. And with that comes the question for me and for you. If the storms, demons, sickness, and even death all unconditionally obey him, will I? Consider all the questions we've encountered leading up to this moment here ending chapter four. It all comes down to seeing Jesus very clearly and finding each of our own answers. To questions like, will I obey in growing Devotion, that's what Jesus has been talking about in these parables over the last few weeks. Will I obey him in growing devotion? Is more of my life today surrendered to his reign than before? 
Is the soil of my heart more open, more conducive to receiving his word to allow it to go deeply in my life? Or maybe all the way back at the beginning of the whole venture into the gospel of Mark, when he says, come, follow me, will I? Without delay, without excuse, without laziness, will I unconditionally follow his call? For all of that, today's episode, today's questions are all a pivot point. The summary point of all that we've encountered thus far in, in the gospel of Mark. This, this is the end of act one in the gospel of Mark. And I'll tell you why. I love this. This is how I know that this is a pivotal, greatest episode of them all, only superseded by one. This chapter ends without an answer. Who then is this? It's like you and I are supposed to be in that boat with some deafening silence alongside the disciples with with their jaws dropped in awe, still overcome by that great fear. And that question is just echoing all the way back as we head to shore. Who then is this? Who then is this? Look for yourselves. If you have your Bibles, look for yourselves at how Mark 4 ends. Who then is this that the winds and the waves obey him? That's the end of act one with the question echoing, echoing, echoing. And in fact, it's a foreshadow to how Mark's entire gospel is gonna end. Chapter 16. Full circle, we began with this passage with an episode that foreshadowed it, Jonah 1. And then here at the end, it's now pointing to something somehow even greater. That at the end of chapter 16, some women are found running in great fear. There's that term again, a great fear because the tomb was empty. And it just is left there. What do they do? What do they, what do they find out? Was he really resurrected? They're, they're kind of left. And the gospel just kind of ends like that. It's Mark's literary brilliance that he's leaving that question so that the reader has to ask and answer it ourselves. Who then is this? And if the tomb is really empty, what happens next? Those are two questions we are left with. That's why I believe this is pivotal and it's for every single one of us. This isn't for your neighbor. This isn't for the person that's new to exploring Jesus. This isn't for the other person in the room that kind of has their life together. Who then is this is a question each and every one of us needs to ask. And maybe you're somebody like Thomas who was in this boat in this very boat, who struggles and says, I need some kind of miraculous encounter with Jesus in order to really believe. Thomas said after the resurrection, he dug his feet in and he said, unless I see Jesus's resurrected body, I will not believe. I gotta see that for myself. Maybe you need to see the calming of the storm or a miracle in your life yourself. And if that's where you're at, God gets that. He gave Thomas exactly what he needs to believe. 
But then he said this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's faith developing before the storm. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen or maybe not yet seen. Let's pray together. God, I pray for those of us that find ourselves right here in this moment needing to walk by faith, not by sight. Learning to do this whole faith Thing, placing our trust and our allegiance and our hope in you. But you proved, not just because you could calm the storm, but because you could even conquer death, death on a cross for our sake and then resurrected into new life. You proved that. That demands a response to the question, who then is this? For any heart in here that needs to respond in faith, I pray that you would, you would quicken that heart. You would enable that heart to breathe for the first time in the breath of salvation, God, that you have given them because you paid the price for our waywardness and you instill in our souls the breath of new life. I pray for those of us that are honestly asking the question, do you not care, God? Are you just sleeping? And I pray that you would come alongside of us without correcting that question, you meet us and you show us your nail-scarred hands and you say, yes, I care. Because when we know who then is this that we're talking to, we can know those other answers. And lastly, I pray for each and every one of us that, that our answers to who then is, is this would come authentically. That we would be asking that question that if you are going to encounter us even in the midst of our storms and you are going to declare peace, be still to even the challenging things that we face, God, that we would would surrender ourselves to that question, the authenticity of faith, asking ourselves, will I live accordingly to my answer to that question? Stir in your people faith, we pray. Amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.